You're listening to the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk podcast on KCPW, kcpw.org, bff.fm, and kfog.com. I'm John Wildman, and we are on location at Slamdance headquarters on historic Main Street, interviewing some of this year's most important and exciting voices in independent film. Joining me this morning are my co-hosts from Bitch Talk, Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. On today's special episode, we will be talking with the folks from the 9th Street Film Center. We have Lexi Laban, she's from the Jewish Film Institute, Masashi Nawano from CAM, and Paul Struthers from Frameline, and the slam dance film Spiral Farm. And for that one, we've got director Alec Tabaldi, along with stars of the film Piper De Palma and Jade Fusco. And then we have from Sea of Shadows, Richard Lacani, he's the director for that, and Andrea Crosta, who's in that film. And then the short film, Dispossessed, Musa Saeed, the director, and Afsa Sophie, the producer. And then finally, a slam dance picture, that's Vast of Night. We've got Andrew Adam Dietrich, he's a producer-production designer on that film, with the two stars, Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz. We're back on the Daily Festival Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman, here with my co-hosts Aaron Lynn and Angela Debora, And we've got some guests here, and everyone, we've all just sat down, and it, it, it's, it's all like a, at a fever pitch, so I'm going to have each one of you introduce <laughs> yourselves. Lexi, let's start with you. Okay, I'm Lexi LeBan. I'm the Executive Director of the Jewish Film Institute in San Francisco. Hi, everyone. My name is Masashi Nuano. I'm from the Center for Asian American Media. I am the Festival Director for our annual festival called CampFest. Good morning, my name is Paul Strellis. I'm the Director of Exhibitions and Programming at Frameline in San Francisco. We put on the San Francisco International LGBTQ Plus Film Festival. Ooh, plus. And, and Paul, I'm really glad to have you here because I, I also do uh, PR for Agliff in Austin, um, well, you know, a sister festival, a film festival, and uh, and am always looking at your programming there at Frameline and uh, and going, which films can we get to Agliff now? Yeah. Uh, I know Jim quite well. Yes, that's the programmer there. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, Jim Brunzel. Yes, he's in Rotterdam at the moment, I believe. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes, he is. All right, and I think this this is the. the Oftentimes, I'm monopolizing the mic, and uh, and I want uh, it, this this one gets we get to have Aaron and Angela take the lead. <laughs> well, this one does uh, hit close to home with the Night Street Night Street Film Center, um, the home for independent film in San Francisco. How do these organizations all work together uh, and in, in the process of is there, because they're all so different? Well, I think what we share is that we're all media arts organizations of different cultural communities in San mm-hmm. Francisco. So the Jews, the Asians, and the queers. <laughs> yeah. Hey. hey. We're all here. We're, we're all in the house. Yes. And, you know, I think we, we also house um, many other media arts organizations. Mm-hmm. And as you know, San Francisco is facing skyrocketing mm-hmm. rents. Mm-hmm. A lot of arts organizations are being pushed out of the city. So our mm-hmm. four mothers and fathers had the foresight to buy this building in 2001. Wow. And if we hadn't done that, we would not be in San Francisco. So we have this wonderful Ninth Street Independent Film Center mm-hmm. where all of us get to collaborate together. And mm-hmm. we, we all um, actually present the largest cultural community festivals of our respective communities. Mm-hmm. So the Jewish Film Festival in San Francisco was the very first Jewish Film Festival and is still the largest. And I think Cam and Frameline as well, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 
Yeah, Framelines the longest running. This year we turned 43 and the largest in the world, around 63,000 attendees. Yeah. And we all work together. There's more than the building as well. Like the building's a great place because we see each other, we can discuss ideas. But even down to the point is, for example, if we have a Jewish film or an Asian film, we we'll want to co-present with Cam and with Jewish and vice versa. If they have a queer film, we'll present it with them. So we help each other out in that way as well to yeah. help build audiences, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important. We get so many submissions to our festivals and so many amazing films are not able to play. So when we have a film mm -hmm. that we feel like can align with another festival, it's really helpful for us to be able to share what we know and hopefully those filmmakers can get a platform in the Bay Area. Yeah, I, I think mm -hmm. another thing that we share is we're really interested in supporting filmmakers working with Jewish, queer, and Asian themes. Mm -hmm. And so we have an incubator program in the building mm -hmm. where uh, filmmakers and residents can come and f at JFI, Jewish Film Institute, we host somebody, uh, actually we have four filmmakers and residents this year for the period of a year. They're in the building working on their projects, sharing rough cut screenings, getting feedback, and um, I think CAM and Frameline also support filmmakers as well. And so that's um, part of the energy of the hub that we have. Yeah, mm -hmm. and one great thing about our space is we do have a screening room as well. So for those filmmakers or for us, if we need a screening space, um, we have that uh, on our first floors, which is great. Hmm. Yeah. And um, I had a question because this is my first time, our first time at Sundance. And you come here and it's just kind of like, um, I don't know, film festival on times 10, volume up to 10. <laughs> would you ever consider, don't kill me for this question, would you ever consider just bringing together all three festivals possibly in San Francisco and just like having a takeover of San Francisco at some point? I know the festivals are very difficult to put together, so I'm, I'm just wondering if that would ever be a, a thing in San Francisco. I There's mean, so I many venues all over mm. the Bay Area that you could take over. Yeah. I don't know. I just think the audiences would be overwhelmed and I'd be worried <laughs> about saturation. Uh -huh. Because if mm. we put all three together, there'd be so much choice. And I know when I go to a film festival, there's so much choice, you get confused. Right. But if it was mm. us three together, it would just be... Nuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do love the word takeover. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, no, you could. Yeah. You could, technically. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I think living in the Bay Area, we you know cherish our cultural arts and our film festivals. Mm -hmm. So all of our festivals are different parts of the year as well. Right. So yep. you know, yep. we want to make sure that throughout the year that um, we love it when there's communities who are like, okay, this month we're going to go see the LGBTQ films. Mm -hmm. This month we're going to see the Jewish films. So I think that's uh, one of the strengths of our community in the Bay Area is that um, there's always something happening and so I, we are a big part of that kind of cultural feeling in the Bay Area. You know, in uh, January in Dallas, um, uh, just prior to, um, to coming to uh, Sundance, we did a thing called Best of Fest, where we had mm. 22 out of the 25 film festivals in Dallas and Fort Worth and, and mm -hmm. North Texas um, took part in what more or less was either you could look at as a sampler platter or mm. greatest hits of all the fests put together. And, and they were all excited. Mm -hmm. The, the fe film festival uh, people had put it, helped put it together saying, we should take this to every city. And we're like going, Ooh. I don't know if this could go to every city. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but San Francisco, I think, would be Ooh. one of the places where you guys could do a best of, best you know, and, and, and combi you know, combine it because you guys do work so well together and are so absolutely supportive of each other. 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like San Francisco is a place full of cinephiles. So, oh, yeah. like, you know, yeah. it's interesting to me that there's a festival almost every week in San Francisco and mm-hmm. we manage to fill the theaters, you know, mm-hmm. even with uh, streaming media and everybody lying on their couch, you know, just mm-hmm. binge watching stuff. I think audiences in the Bay Area really crave live experiences mm-hmm. where they get to speak with the filmmakers and eat food and socialize and party and you know I think that it's amazing that that ecosystem is sustained over time with so many different media arts organizations yeah I I agree specifically in San Francisco we were just talking about the other day how every neighborhood still has a little theater thank goodness that's that's still handling Mm -hmm. these smaller these smaller venues so I think that's a great idea John let's do it well, you know, I guess we have a new job now. Well, there we go. There we go. We're going to do that. Well, you know, because that's the thing is, like, you know, I've always laughed at the idea of film festivals competing. Yes. Um, because mm-hmm. I go, you know, I love seeing movies. And so if I see a movie on Friday, it doesn't mean like I go, mm, I'm filled up with movies. I don't need to watch another movie now for three weeks. You go, no, right. I want to watch a movie the next day. Yeah. You know, and, and so therefore, you know, I want to see films from each one of your film festivals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and you're at different parts of the calendar. But even if you were frankly, you know, one day after the next, I would still go to see a film festival at yours, at yours, at the yours. Yeah, I, w- I would go to see the, those films because I just love movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I did want to say is that, uh, you know, if you're in the Bay Area, you get to, you know, get to go to our festivals. But uh, all the organizations here also have a lot of great things online. So through mm-hmm. online platforms that we all have and initiatives that we have, if you're not based in San Francisco, but you want to see some of the films that play at our festivals, I would definitely recommend going to our websites because there's a lot of amazing stuff um, that we showcase um, regularly. And definitely, sometimes I think we're spoiled living in such a kind of mm-hmm. a lovely city like San Francisco, but if you don't live there and you want to see some of this content, definitely check out our websites. Yeah, Mm -hmm. on jfi.org, we've got a video streaming platform, JFI On Demand, Mm -hmm. and we have curated over 1,800 films since our inception. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary in 2020, and 350 of those films are streaming online. So it's pre-curated, excellent, you know, world-class quality content available for streaming and um, you know you can even search by category so if you're interested in you know biracial bicultural family stories or Mm -hmm. coming of age stories or Israel Palestine you can find that um, on the JFI on demand platform and watch them at home yeah. Frameline has uh, Frameline Voices. Every month we put on a new short film, and sometimes hundreds of thousands of people watch it. But it's really important to us because we know, as you were saying, a lot of people don't have access yeah. like, to certain countries around the world. So that's really cool. And one other thing I wanted to add is one thing that also ties us together is the Castro <gasps> Theater. I was thinking the I same think, thing. Yes, can you please <laughs> talk about that? Well, it's a Castro beautiful theater. theater. Yeah, it's I my favorite in the like, city, yeah. Film festivals would really suffer because you yes. cannot beat seeing a film at Frameline or Cam or Jewish right. with a packed audience, like 1,400 people. It's mm-hmm. just an experience to live for. It's outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the organist plays yeah. to yes. introduce the oh. film. And for us, we had opening night live uh, Love Gilda. Yeah, and we were there. We were there. there. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. the thunderous applause in that amazing, you know, just historic Castro Theater yeah. is an experience not to be um, matched by anything, I think. Yeah, I think if you're a filmmaker, the Castro Theater is 
probably one of the dreams. Mm -hmm. It's one of the palaces. Um, yes. I, yeah, it's, um, I've had a lot of filmmakers who present there who don't know how overwhelming it is until they're on stage and see 1,400 people in the theater. <laughs> yeah. I've seen so many just tear up and I, I, I'm just happy that we can be part of that experience for them. All of us are also hosting events here at Sundance this year. So <clears throat> the Jewish Film Institute is hosting one at Kimball Arts Center. We're having an intimate conversation uh, with Caroline Labresco, senior programmer here, and Matt Tierenauer, who's made the, one of the most provocative Jewish content films mm. in the program, Where's My Roy Cohn? That's yes. today, yeah. 12 to 2, mm -hmm. if people are interested in going. And then you have an event Sunday, right? Yeah, we have Sunday uh, afternoon. We have our mm -hmm. own panel as well at Kimball Center. So yeah, we hope people can come out. There's a lot of amazing, not only Asian American, but a lot of uh, people of color on our panel to talk about how do we decolonize film and filmmaking in the future. And we have our events private, sadly. But every, every <laughs> oh, so never mind. Yeah. Come on and tell us about it afterwards. <laughs> that explains, I was, I was looking for the email. That, that explains that. Limited capacity. <laughs> well, I'll ask the question, what are you all looking forward to at the festival this year? Well, for Jewish content, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've mm. got um, Dr. Ruth yes. and yes. Leonard Cohen. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. the good. Yeah. And then we've got Harvey Weinstein and uh, Roy Cohen. And uh, I'll let you decide which is the, the yeah. good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> they all tie. Yeah, there's a lot of amazing Asian American narratives this year. Uh, Miss Purple, The mm -hmm. Farewell. There's a lot that people are buzzing about, which is exciting. Um, mm -hmm. I love when people are excited about Asian American content. So I have tickets. I'm excited to see them. <laughs> I'll be uh, rooting for the filmmakers and hopefully bringing some of these films to the Bay Area. Yeah, I'm looking forward to loads of things. I think the new Greg Araki. Apocalypse Now, the mm. episodic. Hopefully, it doesn't come out before our festival. And the documentary <laughs> on the fashion designer Holston as well. Yeah. And Adam, the new queer film from Reese Ernst, looks very good as mm. well. Yes, I just saw uh, Ms. Purple a couple oh. nights ago, pre preparing for the interview that we're, we will have Justin on and, and everything. And, and yes, I was very, very happy to, to, to watch that movie. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have a lot of time left. Um, but I would like the, the three of you also to weigh in um, for in, in, in your uh, specific niche um, what you see as the status of, um, of the films that are coming your way um, last year or so as opposed to prior. Um, especially interested for CAM um, because of uh, you know uh, Crazy Rich Asians and 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 what that has meant, um, you know I, I look at stuff like that and I go well independent film is a little bit different um, as far as what's coming down the pipeline. But I still want to hear from each one of you what's coming your way. Well, Jewish identity is really changing in contemporary society, right? So we're really interested in expressing the full breadth and depth of Jewish experience globally. So we have films, um, you know, the Jews of Bombay and, hmm. you know, the Jews of South America. And I think American audiences are really not aware of the full diversity of Jewish communities. So yeah. I think that's our goal in the next couple of years is to continue to bring these amazing films from all over the world that explode the myths and stereotypes of a monolithic Jewish film community. Yeah, and I think Asian American stories are 
it's a really exciting time. I think we're in a post Crazy Rich Asian time, mm-hmm. and it's a very, it was a polarizing film. I think it was really, I think most Asian Americans were really happy that it was successful and that it showed that Asian Americans can be part of the kind of the film industry and part of a market. Um, for people who thought that's a great film, not my story, we this year got mm-hmm. twice the amount of submissions from Asian American filmmakers, mm-hmm. and I wow. think it's inspired a lot of people to make their version of Crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're excited this year. We're still going through all of our submissions. Our festival, CampFest, is in May, and and we hope to have a really special program. Um, yeah. And Paul? In terms of, I would say there's a lot of films around activism due to the current climate mm-hmm. in America right now. And also abroad, there was a film that played at the Berlin Film Festival last year, and we played Bisha Travesty about an underground trans activist. That mm-hmm. was amazing. And also what we're seeing now with what's happening is a celebration of immigrants and immigrant stories. There's a lot of that coming through as well, which is really important and vital. Fantastic. Well, again, Paul Struthers, Masashi Nawano, Lexi LeBan, thank you all for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. San, thank you. San Francisco, represent. Yeah, represent Takeover. Yeah, Takeover. Take Sundance Takeover. Yeah. Oakland. <laughs> Oakland. Oakland, yes. Okay, and Oakland. Yeah, You're listening to the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman here with Bitch Talk hosts Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. We have another slam dance title to talk about right now. This is Spiral Farm. We have the director, Alec Tabaldi, and we have two of the stars of the film, Piper De Palma and Jade Fusco. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for, for having us. us. Jade, did I say your last name right? Fusco. Fusco. You, you, you gave me that look, like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, I, again. Still early, still early. I was like, when do I correct him? <laughs> right at the beginning. Okay, okay Alec, you lead off by introducing our uh, listeners to the film. Tell us about Spiral Farm. Sure. Um, Spiral Farm is a coming-of-age story about a teenage girl on a commune, um, and it explores the uh, quiet moments in a young woman's awakening uh, and tells the story of uh, a young person figuring out who they are. Okay, and uh, this segment is going to be fun for Angela and I because we both have commune experiences. <laughs> uh, we just wow. found out. Yeah, yes. <laughs> just right before you sat ago. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, you know, uh, I my my wife uh, was living in a uh, um, a, a commune in L.A. when we met. Uh, it was a place called the Sugar Shack in East L.A. Um, big, oh, big, nice. big, big okay. mansion with like 18 people living there. So, uh, so yes, as I was watching, I was going, uh, I see some familiar stuff here. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, <laughs> Piper and Jade, let's talk about uh, doing a film like this and um, building a dynamic between the two of you mm-hmm. um, and how Alec helped that and uh, you know, and, and versus what you guys kind of had to find on your own as actors do. Yeah. Well, um, well I, I think that my, that, um, so I'm, I'm the older sister of this, mm-hmm. of, of Anahita, and my character's name is Sahaja or Sasha, and I think that what I, what I brought and when I was exploring in the, the film and, and pondering the reality of this is also all of the tensions that exist living in any kind of intentional community where there's um, this desire to be off the grid and mm-hmm. to do things differently and to, to have a different sort of economic exchange and lifestyle. 
And um, there's a lot of disillusionment and disappointment and also so much, um, I mean, it's, it's challenging. So um, I think my character represents, you know, I'm, I'm living on the outside and, and kind of coming in at, mm -hmm. at my leisure because I'm trying to make a life for myself outside of the commune. So I'm often in the city and sort of shirking all of my responsibilities and leaving my son yeah. um, mm -hmm. with my younger sister. Um, I want to say in terms of developing a relationship and a dynamic, I didn't join rehearsals or I, I really, I mean, my I, I joined the cast like a, just a couple days yeah. before shooting. Was there really a lot wow. of rehearsal time? Yeah. Um, Piper, Amanda, and Landon, who plays the young boy, mm -hmm. we had about three yeah. or four rehearsals together. And like bonding experiences, yeah. so we could like form those dynamics. Because that, that's, you don't always get that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's so that's kind of rare. Yeah. It was really important that that the family feel real, um, and that's something that with a kid you especially can't fake. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. we, I like, we like gave I, I I gave Piper and Amanda and Landon like thirty dollars, and oh, they had to go to the grocery store and buy food and cook food. <laughs> that was so crazy. interesting. Was that like each, <laughs> each person? <laughs> <laughs> it seemed very it sounds simple. So simple. Yeah. Yeah. It was just because I, I I'm. I'm very maternal already, and mm. so, and Amanda was just like putting random things in the car. <laughs> Red I vines, was just like, popcorn. I, I know, and like we're yeah. trying to make pizza, like we don't need this. Um, I, cannot, I cannot even imagine you being in a grocery store with Amanda Plummer. Yeah. It was crazy, it was, yeah. it was I was like losing my mind, because I'm like, we need to make this pizza, but Amanda wants these things, and I don't know how to compromise. Um, so ultimately, I would just like put things back on the shelves secretly. Um, wow. She didn't say, and. Um, it was like $34, and Piper was like, can I just have four more dollars? <laughs> You're like, no, you can't. You have to make do with what you have. And Landon went missing at one point. And I'm like, yeah, Amanda, no. where's lost, Landon? Yeah, lost, and like the, the supermarket. Alec, why like, weren't you filming this? Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, I had picture. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was, that was a lot of fun. And we ultimately made a great pizza. Yeah, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> what was actually on the pizza? Thirty-four dollars. That's a lot for pizza. I know. Yeah. Red hot cheeses. After dinner, we like put on music and everybody was dancing. Yeah. It was like some like kind of quick family bonding. Yeah. And Jade wasn't there for it, right? Which is kind of appropriate. That's appropriate. I was just gonna say. She was playing music through and through. Yeah. No. As you do. Jade came in later, and we didn't really have time to bond or anything, which. I mean, made the dynamic a lot richer mm. because I didn't really know who you, you were mm. and you were my sister mm. and I already had this relationship with Landon and then mm. you were coming in mm -hmm. and um, I was just like, but I want to like hold him and play with him, mm. but you, I don't know, it was just like, it all made sense. Oh, that well, fits, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, I, and I, was, I was very curious to, to, to hear what it was like for both of you working with Amanda, mm -hmm. um, because and just as quick background, in a Hollywood long ago and far away, one of my first jobs was um, answering phones at a, uh, <laughs> a, a, a voiceover talent farm, and Amanda was a client there, and she comes in to record a piece, and so she's in the lobby, and it's just me and her in the lobby, mm -hmm. and she was literally doing a headstand in sure. the lobby, yeah, waiting sounds, to go in. That's Amanda. Yeah, that was, that was just Amanda, and so and that, you know, that, and that was, that was like you know one of my first Hollywood experiences. And so watching the movie, I'm going, oh, holy crap! What is that? On, what is that like on the set? So can you both talk about that that dynamic yeah. working with her because she is 
what she is. Yeah, no. I mean, I loved working with Amanda. Um, I just like really admire her as an actress because she's a mm -hmm. wonderful performer and she doesn't really perform. She just like kind of immerses herself in the character mm -hmm. and um, but she can snap right out of it right away. Like we'd be doing a scene where we're like yelling at each other. I actually don't know if it's in the cut, but we were like yelling at each other and I like would be near tears and then it would be over and, and man would be like just talking to me about, I don't know, cigarettes or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, what is going on? This is mental torture. Um, but she was, I mean, she's, an amazing person and has crazy stories mm. and I just like I don't know it was so fun working with her and it was hard for me sometimes because she can really take over a scene and I was just like fighting for not the spotlight but just to like have as much as a presence mm -hmm. as she does um you did yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah and, and, and Alec I want you to address the fact you know we, we have three very distinctive women uh, in, mm -hmm. in this film. And I'm gonna talk about, for you to talk about casting, mm -hmm. how, how, you, how you brought all three of them on, and then as a director, working with them, because you, you getting those different personalities all on kind of the, the, the right level, the even level for one take, is a challenge as a director. So talk about those two things, casting and then working on set. Sure, yeah. Um, so the casting for, for those three parts, I, I wrote the movie for Piper. So uh, we had worked together on a couple of shorts. Uh, I've known Piper since she was 16. Yeah. And I uh, knew um, when I was writing it, I was hearing her voice and seeing her in my head while I was writing it. So um, that, that was clear that it was always going to be Piper. Um, Jade is one of my, my closest friends. We've known each other since <laughs> we were kids. Um, and our families are really good friends. Um, and my mom was actually helping out with the casting. And she called me and she was like, this part is Jade. Like, <laughs> you have to call Jade. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because because I'd, I'd originally written it for a different actress. Hmm. Um, and then, so I called Jade and I said, I, said, I, I begged her, I said, Jade, please, can you can you come to LA for, for five days? This was like two, this was like five, a week or something yeah. before. Oh, yeah. Before. And Jade was like, I have to go to Burning Man. And I was like, <laughs> well, I was working, I had gotten a grant to make a sculpture and bring oh. it to Burning Man, so it was very oh. much like, a commitment and I was like I don't know how to pull this all off I want to yeah. do a good job but you know wow in the film and yeah yeah um and then uh, Amanda I, I I wrote the part with her in mind not really thinking that I would ever get to work with her um and then luckily I got the script in her pause and she read it and um she luckily committed to do it um even though we were so small and you know not a large-scale movie by any means um and in terms of getting the energies right, um, I don't know. I I think um, I I tried to create an environment where people felt free to experiment. Um, I we had a script, of course, but I I encouraged everyone to go off book as much as they could. Mm -hmm. um, I was so sick of the words that I'd written. I didn't even <laughs> think they were that good. And you know, the truth is, is that like all of my favorite moments in the movie are the improvised moments that the actors came up with in the moment. Yeah. And I think if you create an environment where people feel free to, exp free to explore and free to move about mm -hmm. the space, they're gonna come up with really organic, rich, inhabited things that their characters are gonna do. Mm -hmm. um, so it definitely wasn't a stick to the script type yeah, of movie. Yeah, we played a lot. Yeah, we did a lot yeah. of improvisation. 
Improv. Yeah. Ah, I can't even talk. Well, I, Im- improvisation. Improvisation. Okay. I've had coffee, so. <laughs> I, re- I really love some of my favorite parts are just you dancing in the forest. I'm not lying. I got up and danced too. I was like, ooh, okay. <laughs> so was that all? Was he giving you like, okay, more arms? Give me more. Or was that no. all you? Was that no, all? That was. Um, <laughs> was Oh, that was like the, was that one of the last days at the ranch? So we, so we stupidly made the first uh, thing that we ever shot of this movie, Piper dancing alone in the woods. Yeah. I loved it. And it it. was, no, no, but. Oh, but that was stupid. It was so so awkward. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was. Because the crew didn't know her. She didn't know the camera. And I was like, like, what do I do? (laughs) So we shot for like an hour and a half of her dancing. An hour and a half. Not like none of it's in the movie yeah. because then that night because it was like a beautiful blue light mm-hmm. and the DP and I were like let's like run up back to that same spot yeah. and just mm-hmm. grab a piece of Piper dancing and this yeah. was only like 48 hours later yeah. but she in 48 hours she had gotten so comfortable with us uh-huh. and it was yeah, just Scott it. and I there was no sound all the sound is added I was gonna say were you listen, what were you listening to oh what were you playing we had like blasted music from a Prius that was parked oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like some, very indie film very it was indie. some like hip hop jam some, yeah. I love hip hop yes, yes. thank like, you cheers to I that I was just go I don't know like it was I felt it I felt it I was like okay that makes I can me, get down with that I'm, yeah because I'm really actually not comfortable with dancing it makes me very nervous <laughs> Um, but I guess with, you know, I was more comfortable with the people I was working with and they're playing a song I really liked Mm. and I was like, okay, I can just do whatever I want. And it was just better that way because before it was like, moved your stomach in a certain way. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. But that was, that was a lot of fun. It was just like me going at it, going yeah. crazy. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah. again, the film is Spiral Farm. It's a slam dance title, and we've been talking to the director, Alec Tabaldi, Jade Fusco, and Piper De Palma from the film. Thank you for being here. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman, here with my co-hosts from Bitch Talk, Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. This segment, we're going to be talking about the film Sea of Shadows. It's a documentary screening at Sundance. We have with us the director of the film, Richard Lacani, and one of the subjects in the film, Andrea Crosta. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Richard, tell us about the film. Well, um, it's been uh, one hell of a ride. It's been uh, two years in the making. Uh, it's very fast for a documentary to mm-hmm. complete, um, but it was very urgent to, to do this from the beginning mm-hmm. and to start right away mm-hmm. because uh, we knew that um, the vaquitas, like the clock was ticking and like every month you may lose another animal. Mm-hmm. When we started um, on this, there was like 30 vaquitas left. Now we believe there's less than 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really urgent and we also realized this film, you know, <clears throat> when we heard about what's going on there, it's not just about um, the vaquita. It's actually they're destroying an, o- an ocean system. Mm-hmm. Right. And now, and now quickly, yeah. just to we'll catch our listeners up, the film follows um, Andrea and, and others who are, you know, trying to, you know, kind of stem the tide of, uh, of, of the vaquita um, uh, destruction due to the fishing for, and how do you say it, the tab- tabora? 
Totoaba. Totoaba. The cocaine of the sea right. um, that, that is being fished illegally and in the mass fishing um, is killing everything else in, in, in sight. Um, so that is the film. And, 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 it, and it, of course, it follows along the tradition of films like The Cove and things like that, which we're, we're, we're watching, um, you know, people trying to stop, basically trying to um, stop an immovable force or, you know, how, however, you know, that, that goes. Um, tell me how you got involved with this project. Mm -hmm. Well, we did this film called The Ivory Game. Um, which was about the extinction of elephants. And we had a uh, big success with this film because it actually really had an impact and made a difference. And it moved the needle in, even in China where in the end they banned the ivory trade and they invited us to show the film in China and open the Beijing Film Festival. And this was, this was so encouraging yeah, wow. that a film can actually have an impact mm -hmm. on a government. So when we heard about this problem, we realized, okay, the Mexican government can solve this, but they're not caring enough. So we wanted to get involved and really point a finger at this issue and um, also x-ray it, like understand what is really the problem, who are the bad players, how is this happening. This is where people like Andrea Crosta come in, who do undercover infiltration of cartels and syndicates and risk their lives by doing so, but are extremely professional. And we had a good relationship already with the Ivory game um, and we wanted to work on this together again. Actually, he had an ongoing investigation on this, and he was the first one to tell me mm. about what's going on there. Well, Andrea, and I really wanted to get, get you in the conversation because, it, it, because you are investigating. You are um, in some very dangerous situations, frankly, um, as, you're, as you're working with uh, you know, underworld types that are, you know, are, are trying to you know, sell um, these uh, swim bladders um, you know, to China. And so you're trying to find that out, as well as deal with very angry fishermen um, who don't want you doing this because you're, you know, you're, you're taking away their livelihood. And now you've got cameras on you as well. Yeah. Now, now, talk about how much that adds to the degree of difficulty oh, yeah. for what you're trying to do. Yes, thank God uh, Richard and I, like in the field, really start thinking in one mind. So he knows when, when he can film, he knows when he's, it's not possible. Uh, but actually the whole operation uh, was from our side, from our organization, was at least uh, 12 people involved. And, and some of these people you don't see in the film because they are deeply undercover. Right. Uh, what actually, f I've, you know, we were finding for a, looking for a solution for me and my two guys. One was a for, is a former FBI working with me, and another one is a former captain of Sea Shepherd. And uh, so at the end, we came up with the idea. So I pretended to be an Italian journalist and on site, and some and some and sometimes fishermen are a little bit less, uh, you know, they're okay. And, and it was the perfect cover, actually, because I had the cameras already. So I, I just pretended it was my camera. And, uh, and, and that helped me a lot. Uh, not all the times, but at the same time, I had other people, including Asian undercover investigators, they were doing their job. And nobody, you know, you don't see them, of course, that ghost. Yeah, I, I wanted to uh, switch up the topic a little bit um, with Richard and talk about your work with Jane Goodall and how that's uh, influenced your filmmaking and, and kind of a call to action. Yeah, <clears throat> I was very fortunate when I had um, the possibility to spend about a year um, traveling with Jane Goodall uh, around the world on the film Jane's Journey. Mm -hmm. That was in 2009. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, it was um, really remarkable because she touched me in a way that mm -hmm. I had never been touched by anyone before. Mm -hmm. Like, it went really to the heart because she said, um, 
you can make a difference with your films, you know, like you have a voice and you can reach millions of people. So if you want to change the world, use your power by mm -hmm. making films that matter and that have a message. Mm -hmm. And that really stuck, you know, but it was not so easy to just go out and find the right topic, like wh what could it be? So, um, so I was very encouraged, but at the same time, what could be, you know, where, where to go? So when I found the elephant story, mm -hmm. it was in the New York Times, mm -hmm. the extinction of elephants happening, they said 10 years to extinction. I was like, holy shit, like I didn't know this was going on. And if I don't know about it, then a lot of other people will not know about it. Mm -hmm. So let's investigate. And that's how it kind of started. And, you know, it, it really, she's an ambassador of the, she was an ambassador for the Ivory Game. She helped us with that. She's also involved in marketing this film. Once it comes out, she oh, will wow. be there for us. She will host uh, screenings, things like that. It's a good voice to have. So yeah. We're good friends. Mm -hmm. We are close. We She empowers me. But I also feel there is some empowerment going on towards her because she loves to inspire young people. And when she sees they do something with that, mm -hmm. then, you know, she she enjoys that. So it's it's we like each other's company, which is a good <laughs> thing. <Yeah. laughs> So, uh, so in terms of the the vaquita, which has been described as the smallest and most elusive of the whales, uh, can you talk about how long it took until you finally spotted and and caught that first one? And for both of you, that that feeling, that that moment of like, wow, we're we're going to do something that no one has ever done before. Right. Well, it was incredibly difficult from the beginning to even know will we find a vaquita, mm -hmm. right? And it took a, an amazing team to even um, put this together. So it starts with our production company, Terramata, who actually put the funds in place and, and made this possible for us to be there on location for so long. It took five weeks of searching with 15 boats. Um, mm. We joined the Vaquita CPR team with 90 scientists. Mm. Uh, Cynthia Smith, the main character, she was kind of leading this together with Lorenzo. And it was this mission where we didn't know, will it work? Everyone was getting more and more desperate. We saw, we spotted some vaquitas in the first week, far away, could never get close to them for like seconds, and then they completely vanished. And we thought, is it the boats? Is it us? Is it our presence here? They noticed us. So it went into desperation, and it was only funded for five weeks. And we were like, <laughs> will it happen, you know? And as the days ticked by, we got more and more depressed and frustrated. But then in the end, they, they found that one and, and were able to catch one. But, well, I don't know if I should talk about what happened. Yeah, 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 but, yeah but don't, don't give me spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was incredibly moving and touching. And mm -hmm. also because we were the first film team in the world to be actually film a vaquita up close mm -hmm. in its entirety. And mm -hmm. that was so it was remarkable. It was, it was mm -hmm. like finding Loch Ness or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> never been filmed and it was very emotional for all of us well it, it, it it's fascinating because you know so many people have not never seen one that 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 they're they're actually it's you have it in, in the film people like think it's a myth that it's a, that's a, something that's been made up to keep them from fishing mm -hmm. um <laughs> but you're you're a filmmaker as well and 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 i want to ask if because i had this thought watching this i mean the key to i hate to say it, uh, it, it in this way but it's a cute fish it, 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 it's cute looking. And, and, and so I'm watching this going, well, from a, a blunt marketing perspective, you go, publicity-wise, people want to save a cute fish. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and, and I'm wondering if, if, if you, as a filmmaker, can, can look at that and go, you know, maybe it's a little cynical, but this actually kind of helps our cause. Mm. Of course. Well, look, the, the vaquita is a symbol for this, for this war. 
Um, and I also like to stress that it's not about the vaquita. The vaquita is one animal right. and mm -hmm. it's going extinct, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's like, a, you call it in, in the film, like a flagship. Flag like it's, yes. a, mm -hmm. it's a symbol for what is going on there. And obviously it's a symbol because it's cute and it looks nice and people see it and they're like, oh my God, this is so cute. And of course this helps. And we want to use that because, you know, you need to get the emotion of the people to start caring. But we want them to know that thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of animals are dying. Whales, sharks, dolphins, mm -hmm. turtles, mm -hmm. manta rays, they're all birds. being killed. Mm -hmm. Birds. Just because they are going for this totoaba fish and the vaquita is just the most prominent symbol of them all. Right. Mm -hmm. And Andrea, I, I, we don't have a lot of time left, but I also wanted you to weigh in on... When, when, when you do films like The Ivory Game, when you participate in films like Sea of Shadows, how does that help your work, or how does it hinder your work going forward? Because you're talking about you have a team, some are undercover, yeah. but you're not. No. You're in the, your face is changed. It, it helps a lot. Actually, our work without media would be way less effective, of course. Uh, we, have an, we are an NGO, so we have to have a public face. Mm. I'm the public face. But as long as my team is undercover, uh, you know, most of my people working in the field, uh, their identities are, n are not even known within our organization, Elephant Action Leagues. So that's the balance uh, that I found. I can do it, I keep doing it. I don't know for how long, uh, but my people are protected. All right, well, we've been talking about the film Sea of Shadows. It's screening at Sundance. It's a documentary, but it oftentimes plays like a thriller. Uh, and Richard Licani, the director, Andrea Crosta, the subject of the film, were here. Thank you guys for being here. Thank, thank you. you. Yes, thank you for your work. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We are back on the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman, here with my Bitch Talk co-hosts Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. And our film we're going to talk about right now is Vast of Night. And guests, introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm Adam Dietrich. I produce and design the movie. I'm Jake Harlitz. I play Everett in the movie. And I'm Sierra McCormick, and I play Faye in the movie. Okay, Adam, this is the part of the show where you introduce our listeners to the film. Tell us about Vast of Night. Oh, man. The Vast of Night is a 1950s mystery thriller. Kind of takes us back to the old Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And um, oh, I love kind that. of finds two kids <laughs> in a small town in New Mexico in 1958 during the night of the big basketball game. And uh, they're the only two people out in the town. Uh, the switchboard operator and the radio disc jockey. And uh, they find a disturbance coming through the airway. So it's you know it's it's a genre movie, but there's a lot of little cinephile treats in this movie mm. that I think audiences will really. Uh, well, I don't know. I get into. I'm like when I watch it, I'm like, God, mm -hmm. I haven't seen that, and that made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Sarah and Jack, I'd like to have both of you uh, talk about um, when you're doing a film like this. There's there's uh, a different flavor. To, to acting in, mm. in, 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 in something that's as opposed to, you know, a, a more contemporary story and what have you. Talk about that as actors. Um, yeah, uh, the, the dialogue is so well written. It's so, like, the, the rhythm of it is so clear from the page. Um, and really what we worked with Andrew a lot on is playing, uh, playing against the style, actually. Like, that, that a lot of the period stuff and stylized things will take care of themselves. And if you 
try to take the people as seriously as you can, you know, and avoid the like 1950s Southern yeah, cartoon. Yeah, what Andrew sort of would thing. say is that he uh, wanted to take the genre like seriously yeah. as a whole. So I guess that kind of meant yeah. we didn't fall into any sort of like caricatures as, I don't know, sometimes movies that are period pieces are guilty of. Right. Um, right, and that it would be there. The style was going to be yeah. there from the writing. It was going to be the, there you know, anyways. Saul. So there was no need, I don't know, we didn't, he really appreciates um, stillness, actually, and just relaxing and playing things as, as straight as possible. Yeah. When with that sort of dialogue, you could fall into some sort of caricature extra punched up yeah. sort of way of saying things, and we worked really hard not to. Yeah, it was surprisingly realistic, actually, working yeah, on it, at least absolutely. from the inside. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, yeah. Well, that, that was kind of the through line that of the whole film, of Andrew's through line is... is what if Roswell was real? What if the mm-hmm. what if the people in that small town, no matter what happened, not saying Roswell like the alien invasion was real, or, but what if Roswell was real? The people that experienced what they experienced had a true experience, mm-hmm. and what if those people had lives outside of that experience? It's mm-hmm. kind of like a it's a very simple idea, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, but it, it seems like no one has really done that, and right. yeah. and that's what made making the movie so special is Andrew didn't want to make a movie about an event. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make a movie about a town and, yeah. a, and, and some human beings that were striving to figure out what their lives were and what yeah. place they were in and where that place was going and well, what their well, place was. Well, you know, so let's talk about Andrew for a moment since he's not here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we can talk about him behind his back. Let it all out. You know? Spill his dirty secrets. <laughs> yeah. All of bitch them. Bitch talk. You know? that, exactly. But this is Andrew's directing <laughs> debut, Correct. right? Yeah. First time director. Um, first time feature director. First time feature director. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank, thank you for that correction. But um, so first time feature director, uh, and you two are—you guys got some credits under your belt. So 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 you are actually the, the veterans on the set, <laughs> right? Working didn't, with didn't this guy. <laughs> we, we, didn't, we didn't sit in the. But let's talk about that director-actor dynamic and, and what it was like to work with him. And again, remember, he's not here. He'll right. he, he won't know. Yeah. Oh, doesn't matter. He's not here. Now he's, we can really tell him how we feel. That's right. Yeah. Uh, oh. How I really feel. He's the best. Yeah, he's <laughs> so, so great. I don't know. I think having been on so many productions kind of made me appreciate Andrew much more because I've, I've been on things, indie film and studio film and TV, all that kind of stuff. Um, and a lot of times directors are just kind of, you're kind of like their prop, they put you where you want, they want, and uh, you do your thing. They kind of tell you, yeah, good job, and then you move on. Or they're just trying to crank something out, or there's a timeline, or just not as much care is taken to really work with actors and make sure that on the day they know exactly what they're doing um and andrew was really really good about that we had like two weeks of just straight rehearsal before we ever shot anything that's incredibly rare yeah i know (laughs) the the the, the one the the thing i remember about andrew actually was he he cares about the really small things like he let me design my own cigarette brand that I wanted Everett to smoke. Like he cares Mm. about the small, like he knows that like things like that actually matter for actors. Like if, you know, when you're in like at, you know, four in the morning on like a 10 minute take, like that stuff makes you sit in a different person in a way. Yeah, it also, it just, it helps you inhabit someone much more, just all these small details. And I don't know, for someone who 
he just, I don't know, I feel like he just works exceptionally well with actors. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the detail aspect. Because sitting next to you uh, is a production designer uh, guy who I, I know firsthand uh, is really good at detail. Um, <laughs> since, since he was a producer and the production designer on the film that I directed, uh, the, lady, the, the Ladies of the House, and uh, which was also- Ruthless plug. Which was also a timely, uh, which was also a, a time period-esque uh, thing. So Adam, I want to talk about designing a time period production. Well, I, and uh, it's so much fun. I mean, you know, there's there's so many awesome opportunities for a designer to kind of get their hands dirty in a movie like that, and especially with Andrew, who wants to take the period seriously, and, and with you, John. I mean, <laughs> but we're not talking about your movie, so. But, but, but you know, Andrew wanted to take the 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 period very seriously, and was was adamant about making it authentic. And you know, I I love, I like as a designer, it's weird because I like movies that have a lot of light and shadow. And a lot of designers are like, I want my thing to be seen. <laughs> you know, but I like that, you know, the thing falls off into the darkness and, and my design is a, 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 a supportive element, which is why I like being a producer designer because it, it helps be focused on the story as opposed to my little, you know, my well, art. But, and what was your yeah. process with Andrew? I mean, going into the thing, you know, were you guys working on lookbooks together? Was, yeah. he, was he, you know, emailing you at all hours of the night saying, I come with another idea, that kind of thing? No, What's he, going on? No, he honestly, I mean, I, he gave me a lot of uh, leeway to, to move forward. We had talked about the initial design and, and vision, and, and Andrew had found uh, Whitney, Texas before I came aboard. So I came, uh, we sat down at a, a cafe. I was in love with the script already. And I, I kind of said how wonderful and, and big this movie was to me. And, uh, and then when we went to Whitney for the first time, they had found some of the locations. Mm -hmm. And um, the basketball court, that's a big, big part of the film, uh, they had already paid for the reflooring of the basketball court, which is one of our biggest expenses in that small town. And the town was so excited about the fact that we wanted to make that real investment in their community. And so I helped to redefine that space, but that floor was already done. And, I, and as a designer, I was like, man, I'm so glad that you've already made this financial commitment to make this right, because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. um, he let me, I, I think one of the, this speaks a lot to uh, Andrew and I's relationship is while, when we got into it, we were shooting in this downtown area and I didn't like the fact that they had painted lines on the street at an angle uh, for the parking and Andrew just didn't care per se about that you know he's focused on other things and I was like Andrew I really feel like this is detrimental to the character and, and he's like I don't know you know what would we do and then we went off in our own directions and when he showed up that night I had put gravel down on the ground and he was like well, when, to be honest, I had put partial gravel down on the ground, and I had everyone pushing that gravel uh, as they were setting up lights. And he was like, Adam, this was a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm sorry, brother. I had to do it. He was like, no, I'm glad you did. Yeah. And so we've always had this kind of like unspoken, symbiotic, like we're going to make this thing happen, uh, blood, sweat, and tears. And, and I think Jake and Sierra also had that. And uh, everybody that's a real collaborator on the film, we're like, you know, we're die hard, you know, right, right. die hard, like, you know, whatever it takes, we're mm -hmm. going to get the thing made. Uh, well, and, and, that's a, and there's a different spirit in this kind of production, you know, this kind of budget level, this kind of, this kind of, you know, you know and, and, and of course, everyone wants to make the best film, film. or television show 
But when you're working on this kind of budget or when you have this kind of time period or when you're in a little town like Whitney, you know, there's a, there's a different aspect to working on that. And, uh, and, and, and Sierra Jake, Jake, I would love for two of you to actually talk about it, again, from an actor's perspective. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we're, you know, when we're watching on the screen, we're not always thinking about that. Hopefully we're not thinking about that because <laughs> we're, cause we're wrapped up in the, job, it, yeah, yeah, we're wrapped yeah. up in the film, you know, but that, but that's not something that's at the top, you know, whenever we're considering this. So it'd be a nice chance for you guys to talk about that acting perspective. To talk about, oh, sorry, what is that? Like, well, working, well, well, working on a production like this, gotcha. uh, you know, this kind of budget style, this kind of like, you know, out of the way place, you know, again, as opposed to TV show or something like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I've... I've worked in a lot of indie film, and I don't think it's even a budgetary or a size thing because I've worked on bigger and smaller productions where they're just trying to like crank it out for overseas distribution. Mm. And this was just completely unique and different because everybody, every, every single person who put their hand in it cared about it so much. It was very mm. clear. Um, just from the start, and we're working these... 12-hour days and they're all overnights the whole shoot was overnights if you mm -hmm. all exteriors and they're all nighttime and so everyone's everyone's exhausted it's like six in the morning and we're all trying to get something and no no one's like being an ass about it like I don't know no one's like complaining really everyone's just like really really pumped that we're going to get it and I don't know I think that's there was this kind of like faith like None of us, I don't know, I never had the feeling like something was going to go really, really wrong. Yeah. Even though we had, like, setbacks, but I never feared for the fate of the, of the production. Because I just felt like everyone, everyone cared about it enough to give it their best shot if something did kind of fall off. Yeah. Everyone really believed in it, I think. I remember that feeling of everyone being. And first and foremost, yeah. Andrew. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I mean, yeah. he kept that vision and that faith, and he said, we're going to do this, and we're going to do it the way in which I have envisioned. Yeah. When a lot of times you would say, well, we got to settle. But he didn't. No. And, and it inspired everybody else to yeah. say, we're not going to settle. We're going to fight for it. Again, the title of the film is Vast of Night, screening at Slamdance. We've been talking to Adam Dietrich, who's a producer and production designer on the film, and the two stars of the film, Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz. Thank you all for being here. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thank you. We're wrapping up the Festival Daily Buzz on KCPW, kcpw.org, bff.fm, and kfog.com. The show is made possible with the support of KCPW and Slamdance Film Festival. Our sponsors include Black Rain, hemp-infused products that focus on wellness, relief, and recovery. Studio Movie Grill, opening hearts and minds one story at a time, and Caroline Cremol of Slope Style Realty of KW Park City Keller Williams Real Estate. Additional support is provided by Nasty Women Wines, Pro Bar, You Went to Brewing, Couple Co. Podcast, and Whole Foods Market in Park City. The show is audio produced by Charlene Goto with production help from Angela Rowling and Sophie Gunther. Our executive producer is Lancia Wan.